what if the financial markets reflected social justice? Well, for one thing, everyone would be listening to the Free Money Podcast. Um, but apart from that, the market might look a little bit more like the Addisina Social Justice Fund, which is a new ETF that trades under the ticker JSTC here in the U.S. Um, this week, we're talking with Rachel Friedman, uh, Addisina's Director of Investor Services, about how they're building a bridge between social justice organizations and the capital market. Um, we zoom in a little bit on issues like how ending forced arbitration for sexual harassment have historically been left out of the ESG equation. Um, and then we touch on their experience uh, starting a new investment fund and, you know, a as a minority and queer-led firm, um, how allocators can structure due diligence processes to better respect manager time, um, and why Adesina decided to start an ETF instead of a data company. Um, just quick heads up that uh, Rachel's non-binary and uses they, them pronouns, which is rad. Um, and we stand here at the Free Money Podcast. Um, also, it's worth noting that nothing on this podcast is investment advice, but you knew that already. Um, if you uh, mess up the pronouns or uh, think we're giving investment advice, you need to log off immediately. <laughs> um, no, well, I mean, or just look inside yourself. You can also consider leaving us a five-star review or, um, I don't know, painting your car the free money, money colors in order to um, make up for these uh, transgressions against humanity. We'll leave it up to you. Um, but enjoy the podcast. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. It's where we give you the Brooklyn Bay Area consensus about institutional investing that, in fact, you desperately crave. Yes. Do we have and liability? You know I've been craving. Are what? we like creating an addiction? Is this bad? Like, <laughs> you know, man, I've been getting that one a lot too long. We didn't talk about that before, but everybody thinks I'm creating a whole generation of gamblers by trying to get people to play the prize-linked vaccination game. Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. true. Not true. Mm. We're not gambling anything. There's nothing at stake except for your life. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, here's what I crave. I wanted to talk to you about this. I've been waiting. I've been waiting till our next free money podcast in order to, to sort of spring a business concept. Mm, interesting. The name of the show is Free Money Podcast. The next best thing from free money is free drinks. <laughs> And mm -hmm. I recalled our plans, mm -hmm. which are now almost fully fledged, yep, 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 yep. to use carbon offset programs to plant plants. Mm -hmm. The plants that we plan to plant could be vines, apple trees. Yep. And so what I'm saying is carbon offsets leads to grapes and apples, <laughs> leads to fermentation, <laughs> leads to free booze. <laughs> Hey, I mean, like, party on. I think that's pretty great. I think we just need a minor investment in this carbon offsetting concept we've got here. One or two million. Get SoftBank on um, the phone, right? <laughs> yeah, let's get Satoshi Sud or whatever. <laughs> My, what is his name? Oh, man. Oh, Terrible. Yeah. I know he's the world's best PowerPointer. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, honestly, like, you know, it's people try to make their PowerPoint slick, and that's a mistake. Uh, no, like you just need high-level concepts. Yeah, generically supported with gut reactions. Number one at everything, our mission. <laughs> <laughs> this is perfect. I mean, oh, anyways, I do have news. Really, I got it, and I got good news. In fact, great news. Mm. Um, and relevant news, Sloan. You'll be delighted to hear. Wow, this week. Uh, I think some of our former um, pod guests will mm -hmm. be celebrating because the long-term stock exchange announced just yesterday that two companies will be listing. They are Twilio and Asana, and they will be dual listing. But but that means making all the commitments to meet the listing standards of the LTSE, and that will be happening in August. And, and that and was I'm, like their idea, right? It's like people will dual list at the LTSE and then those kind of listing standards will propagate through other exchanges, you know, so that's that's kind of like how they're, I mean, that was the plan the whole time, right? Yeah. 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 The plan is always the dual, to start with the dual listing and to, uh, you know, get some of these companies making commitments that are really tangible. Like you're you're getting listed on a stock exchange in order to maintain that listing. You have to meet your commitments yep. or you get delisted. 
These are real commitments. And so the fun thing about this, just for the listeners out there, is the whole world of ESG tends to feel like a dog's breakfast of <laughs> uh, ratings. And we'll come back to that later yep, in the show. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but here we are actually putting some credible commitments and teeth behind those commitments. So I thought that was worth calling out. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, too, I, I think it's a, you know, one of the big critiques that I personally have about ESG is that like a lot of, I mean, like, you know, we were roasting the, you know, vegan investment funds before. There's a vegan climate ETF that is like Microsoft, Apple, you know, all the big tech companies, right? Um, That's right. And like, you know, big tech companies are going to do well. They're going to be, you know, I mean, it's a good way to run a business these days. Um, but to have a, a company actually make a more tangible set of commitments and not simply be like, oh, yeah, we use computers and therefore we don't really emit that much carbon. Uh, I mean, that's quite a big deal. Yeah. You know, no, this is, this is a big deal. You're right. Yeah. So next piece of news. Mm. This news comes from long term uh, friend of the show, um, Alicia McElhaney. Uh, Am I oh, pronouncing the last name right? I don't even don't know. I don't think so. I don't think <laughs> no, that's <laughs> most certainly wrong. Yeah. Uh, a growing number of long term investors are interested in evergreen fund vehicles, according to Alicia. Mm. And uh, I myself. Um, there's a little self-promotion here. I'm quoted in her story. I, I, I saw it. I mean, the, you know, in, in, in the very small world department, Alicia and I are going to the beach on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is basically just us hanging out with our it's friends. That's what this entire show is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But Evergreen Funds, for those of you that don't know, are a different form of investment vehicle. It's, it's a third-party vehicle, as in this is not a pension fund doing its own investing. It's working with uh, third-party investment vehicle, but they've structured it to be long-term. Mm. And so it's uh, it's an exciting way of trying to get more alignment and frankly, put capital into long horizon projects, which tend to be societally beneficial, Yep, like climate change solutions. So it's it's great to see the evergreen stuff coming back on and, and being looked at hard by by investors and, and you know i mean like that's there's this guy uh brent Bishore who like you know is active yeah. on twitter and like started this like permanent equity fund uh maybe in like 2012 or something like that with like two million dollars uh <laughs> and and now and now i mean it's now he's like yeah you know, he's, really, he's still a you know in pe terms kind of a micro cap guy but like the when he did that it was like wow this guy is a lunatic <laughs> yeah um, yeah, well, like, how the heck do you get your money out? What's the liquidity? All the stuff that, like, the LPs are used to getting answers on. Yeah. They've got to figure out new questions, yeah, right? Yeah, they the mechanic for asking. investment returns in most private equity funds is flipping the damn thing. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and so you get not Selling from one GP to another GP. Yep. That's probably in your portfolio if you're CalPERS. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it's all very, like, you know, French absurdist. Uh, like, I mean, I think you need a, a PhD in literary theory to understand the absurdity of it all. Speaking of PhDs in literary theory, <laughs> the Qatar Investment Authority. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. The well-known. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well-known leaders. <laughs> Crypto assets need to mature further um, as a as a marketplace, sort of suggesting that they would require less volatility and more maturity in crypto assets before they would be willing to invest. Hmm. And that left me wondering. That's not just the news. We've all seen the volatility. But that left me wondering, Sloan, whether or not cryptocurrencies are Sharia compliant. Oh, that's very interesting. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I started to gazoogle it a little <laughs> bit. Um, just so that people know, Sharia compliance is, a, is part of Islamic finance, mm -hmm. and they ban things like usury and speculation. So, yep. so charging interest or, um, or gambling. Which so so like lending has like an equity-like component traditionally, right? Like in the in Sharia. In their world. In Islamic finance. Yeah, not in our world. Not in, in our, our world, world yeah. You, yeah, the lending is is uh, no-go. And as is speculation, mm -hmm. right? It's called Mizir. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that really well. Mizir <laughs> uh, is forbidden and it's speculation. And so I Googled it. I said, look, are cryptocurrencies um, seen as Mizir? And the answer is no. Hmm. Almost every single cryptocurrency is halal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
That is so there's the, there's news for everybody. Those of you that were worried, um, you know, Muslims out there that were worried they were they were breaking the rules. You're not. Yeah, exactly. Have fun. It's yeah. I, well, you know, that's. I mean, they must be. Uh, it's funny. I just put a, a blog post on the Free Money uh, blog this, like earlier today about crypto. Um, like and subscribe. And like like share subscribe exactly. Um, <laughs> but like I, you know, it's it's really heating. Like the it feels like there was sort of a sea change that happened. Like you know, a two point two billion dollar crypto fund got announced. Um, you know, earlier this week, like it's, it seems like something is in the air where it's like reaching that level of institutional kind of familiarity that people keep, you know, kind of hoping will happen. Yeah. Speaking of reaching that institutional level of familiarity, mm. generating value from your values. Oh, wow. Sloan. That's so that investing, hard. investing with ethics. Mm hmm and making money. Mm -hmm. That does sound hard to me. But I have to say, I have seen a plethora of new companies emerging that are trying to do this. We had uh, Jay Lipman on our show here mm -hmm. at the Free Money Podcast talking about their work at Ethic. But there are many new companies out there that are trying to help investors deploy capital in accordance with their beliefs. Yep. And Pensions and Investments Magazine uh, put out a report last week on impact investing which I found incredibly interesting because it said a growing number of pension plans have said to their boards, they're being pressured by stakeholders to do impact investing. And they noted in the story, um, there's now 1,700 institutional impact investors in the world today, managing about $715 billion. So this is going what feels like mainstream. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, that really, you know, it's funny. I, I think like, I mean, I just put a big piece out, out on ESG at, you know, my gig at Fiduciary Wealth Partners. Um, yeah. And like, what, you know, part of what we were harping on there is that like so much of the ESG stuff that, you know, is out there is like, you know, BlackRock talking to BlackRock about, you know, what they can market as a BlackRock product, you know? Right. Um, and like what's inspiring and, you know, really kind of interesting about a lot of these impact funds is that, you know, they actually tend to have links to people who are kind of involved in the communities that they're targeting um, in a way that's not so common with just like, you know, kind of kicking the gun manufacturers and, uh, you know, the for-profit prisons out of your uh, S&P 500 portfolio. Yeah, no, one feel one is like a screen and, and one is, you know, trying to rejuvenate, you know, the, the system. And that I think is what everybody wants to see. There's been so much damage done already. It's like the question is, how do we actually rejuvenate? Yeah. And, you know, I, it's funny, our guest, uh, you know, this week is, you know, working really hard on that. They, they are um, Rachel Friedman. I think I might have stolen that term rejuvenate right from from their website. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like that's, you know, very that's a copyright infringement. Um, Sorry. But, um, the uh, yeah, I mean, but what their uh, idea, they, they created a social justice index and an ETF to track it recently. And, mm. you know, they describe it as sort of being. A, a bridge between uh, financial markets and activists. Um, and they're in the waiting room for this very Amazing. podcast. So oh, cool. fantastic. Hi. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. How's it going? We are vibing. Awesome. Yeah, totally. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Pride. Oh, likewise. Happy, happy Pride. Heading right out to Transmarch right after this. In Hell awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, throw Molotov cocktails at all the trans folks. PLZ, <laughs> do it for us. Do it for the listeners. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but you know, we were we were talking, you know, in non-Molotov business. <laughs> uh, Back to our, our, our scheduled previously scheduled program. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, impact investing. <laughs> yeah, the more peaceful Molotov cocktail that <laughs> that y'all at Addisina have been putting together. Like the I I mean, like I was just talking about how, you know. Y'all have described this product, this index, as sort of a bridge between social justice organizations and the mm -hmm. capital markets, um, which sounds like a good idea. Um, but can you describe that bridge a little bit, like in kind of how it's supported? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, and thanks for diving in. I was, um, I was just thinking about this actually in the context of, of Pride and about. Um, you know, some of these the the change that I think that actually needs to happen in in using you know community centric um, ideas and bringing some of the most important um, pieces of the movement, you know, into the system and into the infrastructure. And so, you know, I, I, I 
believe that I found my people at Addisina. And so I think that, you know, I can't take credit for this, this notion, but as a conduit of, of the information, you know, something that we say is we're, we're really building bridges between social justice organizations, activists, allies, and financial markets, traditional financial markets. And we're really focused on public um, markets and investments. And so part of that is really moving the needle and, you know, working towards systemic change. And I think thinking about all of the ways in which we can create change, the social justice organizers and the movements don't always have the levers or the tools, I think, to be able to pull within public markets, especially. And a lot of focus, and, and y'all know this probably likely better than I do around, you know, public equity and and debt and things is is really around like deep, deep impact and and um, catalyzing money directly back to community. For us, it's more about putting pressure on the corporations to change. But the people we're asking are actually the organizers and the social justice, you know, um, activists, and saying what what are those what are the issues that you would like to see, and how can we use our access, you know, to pull that lever. So it's mm. kind of that's kind of what we say. We're the bridge. I, I I kind of go back and forth, like we're the conduit of information, but we build the data to actually make the, uh, you know, allow the organizations and the movements to you know drive that large scale systemic change. Got gotcha. Yeah. So like I mean, for you know, as an example, we might have you know a set of community activists who are like you know angry that a pipeline is moving through their community, um, you know, but not necessarily have the connection to talk to. Uh, the pipeline company that is exactly. behind that and apply direct pressure and, and bring investor pressure to bear. Is that kind of an accurate characterization? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that thinking, yeah, thinking like um, pipeline level where you're, you're thinking that all of the folks that are that are involved with, you know, the actual implementation and infrastructure of a pipeline going in or thinking about um, sort of like large systemic shifts that need to happen, um, you know, paying a livable wage, changing employment practices, a lot of folks are really engaged in, in, you know, in taking the the notion and sort of applying it, you know, through ESG. And I think for us, it's it's more about what is the actual like specific thing that needs to happen, and how can we work to create reputational risk outside of just you know just the the data within the portfolio, so that we can you know use that community information and and put pressure on those corporations, like you said with the pipeline. Exactly, it's a great example. That, that's uh, you know, and you know, I want to kind of go into another example too. Like the, I, on your filing, there was this example of Alibaba, um, <laughs> you know, like the the Chinese uh, kind of e-commerce retailer, um, you know, that y'all kicked out of your portfolio over um, you know various complicities in uh, you know kind of the ongoing like terrible genocide, et cetera, that's happening uh, with the Uyghur people in in uh, eastern China. Um, can you talk about how that? data percolated up to your board, how the decision was taken, and, and kind of how the structures enabled that uh, action to take place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And thanks so much for, for naming it a genocide. I think, you know, it's, it's sometimes being in so many like financial... <sighs> I guess I can say what I want here, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean, the free money. This is a. This is a. This is. An we got free speech. Unsafe, this is an unsafe space for bigots. <laughs> my my compliance team is gonna. I'm gonna get a G shot from them shortly. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for naming a genocide. You know, just hearing. You know, as an example, I would be in so many rooms with you know um, financial services folks where we would you know last summer for example they they would be dancing around walking on eggshells around. Well, you know this this thing that happened to this guy George. Floyd. And I'm like, oh, the murder of George Floyd. If <laughs> <laughs> we just dance around things, especially in financial services. So thank you for, for the, the space to speak about it freely and for also just naming it a genocide. Yeah, I think that that fact is just not in dispute. And um, it's just an ongoing persecution of the Uyghur people. It's a it's a genocide. It's it's multiple human rights abuses. It's persecution and oppression. And I think thinking about, um, for us, one of the main um ways that we, you know, source information. I think like the, the pipeline example is a great example. But one of the ways that we source information is from access and allies and boots on the ground. And it sounds kind of simple and it is, but really no one's doing that. And that's part of, I think, what's a differentiator for Adesina, but it also is is something that, you know, we're listening and, and saying, hey, those closest to the issue are most oftentimes closest to the, the solution, but furthest from the power. So for us, it was, is a conversation about um, who is, perpetrating, you know, this, who, who's taking, who's, who's actually supplying the technology to allow folks to um, oppress the Uyghur people. And actually, um, you know, Alibaba came up uh, on many, many, many different um, 
uh, reports, uh, investigative journalism. There's a lot of uh, many articles out there around the work that they were doing. And I think that just um, thinking about the way that our process you know, really, really took it through a very uh, systematic process of, of, it, of really exposing this. But, but it wasn't like we, you know, we didn't go and vet all this information. We went, it wasn't this huge, like long process. It was more of a trust of the, of the activists and of the investigative reporters and saying, you know, we believe that this is not in dispute. This is a genocide. There's no question that this is happening here. And Alibaba is using this in a testing environment and is, you know, actually identifying Uyghur people on their um, technology, which is an obvious issue around citizen and immigrant surveillance. And so the process for us and our fund, which, you know, is, is one of the most important things, I think some of this infrastructure that we've built on the back end is that we have people on our team who are social justice investment strategists. Um, Renee Morgan is, is on our team, does a lot of work around the companies that we divest in and um, our racial justice exclusion lists, our uh, gender justice exclusion lists, and the companies that are perpetrating, you know, against folks. And, and um, I think for us, the definition of the company what they were doing was not in question. And it was more about how do we build this into our fund? Um, so I'm speaking around the fund because my compliance department would also like me to talk about the index. So the <laughs> social justice index, <laughs> which is right. a strategy mm, yeah. <laughs> that the ETF is a replication strategy of, um, you know, a, a big part of what um, we did with, you know, the the data set here is that we, we built, we took this information and of course we vetted the information and then we built it through a process of bringing the information back to our index committee. Our index committee, of course, is built a, of um, some non-traditional finance folks who are actually, you know, people who are doing work kind of on this bridge, social justice activists who are trying to exist in the financial services industrial complex. And then, um, you know, sourcing that data from the American Friends Services Committee, working with um, folks to sort of vet the information and then build it back into our into our index and, and actually end up ultimately divesting from Alibaba. And, hmm. um, you know, the process of taking that, removing that from the index is one process, but then also, you know, taking investor action and putting dollars behind it or divestment behind it was actually uh, in the ETF. So kind it's of really kind of a long long process but um definitely you know for one company especially when i've explained it to people they've been like you do all that for one company and you know we have a set of 55 criteria but yeah we absolutely do that for one company and for one thing which you know just so happens to be an ongoing genocide of you know, <laughs> <laughs> i shouldn't be laughing and, don't laugh i mean don't i just laugh. it's why i laugh when i'm uncomfortable I you just, laugh yeah. to keep from crying or you would cry right um, Rachel, hearing you describe that process, I have to tell you, I, I'm like transported to a series of projects I did um, as an academic at Stanford like seven years ago, mm. where we kept trying to explain to everybody in the infrastructure space why they needed to like really take their stakeholders seriously. Mm. And, and like, if you're going to build, you know, a toll road or you're going to build, you know, a port or even a building, yeah. taking the stakeholders in the communities and really hearing them actually has a, a really interesting outcome. It removes some of the tail risk mm -hmm. by involving them in what we would call like co-design and co-development of the yes. infrastructure. Yes. And it drives higher performance. Yes. It, because <laughs> you get, you get permits. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought I would. I wanted to give you a little, you know, performance yeah, boost yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely right, and thank you, thank you for saying that. And I love thinking about that analogy around the toll roads and think, you know, there's there's something that we say like, could social justice movements be early indicators of risk in public equities? Exactly. And, yeah, thinking of that tail risk, it's you know, it's it is interesting to think about the the portfolio that would have existed without Alibaba prior to this, you know, this example and. It's neither here nor there. I think for a lot of people, you know, we're, with the, it was in the portfolio for the period of time until it wasn't when when they uh, were exposed for this, uh, you know, civilian and immigrant surveillance technology. But Alibaba's performance was negative eight and a half percent or something. I think in mm. Q1 mm. while it was in the portfolio, and we, you know, we launched our ETF and our index back in December. So for that period of time hypothetically, if they're out of the portfolio, there was there was a negative return on it anyway. And so we just like to say like bad companies do poorly and are going to do poorly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hypothetically, but you, you know, you're, you're helping to like quantify and define this pre-financial risk for people. And that's like, in my mind, this research that you're doing is so valuable and this data set Thank that you. you've built is so mm -hmm. valuable 
in part because you offer people this insight that maybe doesn't yet quantify in some, you know, cash flow, but it definitely is out there looming as a huge reputation. And then ultimately geopolitical and regulatory risk. Mm. Um, you guys, you know, in, in understanding your, your firm, you, it's, it's a incredibly valuable data set, but you've chosen to monetize the data set, not as a data provider, but instead as an EPF. Yeah. And so how, how do you think about that? Was that a, a conscious decision that was the easiest path to monetization or is it, that's how you've drive the most impact? I'm just curious to hear, um, rather than selling the data, you, you're selling an EPF. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's something that we, um, thanks. It's thoughtful. Cause I think that, you know, a lot of times I think, especially in our industry or in financial services industry, we're, we're, we're we kind of butt up against the concept of how do you monetize this? How do you keep the lights on? And especially for a, you know, BIPOC queer woman led firm, um, we're, we're absolutely in that, in that space where we're, we're constantly thinking about how can we, and also firm that by the way, you know, um, hires folks non-traditionally in the industry. We, we really focus on a regenerative, you know, working towards worker ownership, you know, employee ownership in the firm, thinking about some of those sort of things and how we, um, yeah, how we look to keep our lights on. It's, it's, it's interesting to think about, look, why are we monetizing something? And so, of course, we, there's some kind of product. There's some kind of something that we're monetizing. And we, we were at a crossroads. And I was, I was kind of on the shift from what was Robichaudi and Phillips and a financial planning firm to, to build out of late um, summer last year, right after the social uprisings. We were really in this place where we were deciding, do we want this data that, that we're helping social justice organizations um, build and maintain by, you know, helping them get funding? A lot of it was moonlighting social justice organizer activist style prior, but, you know, kind of how do, do we want to monetize this? And do we want to actually kind of be the social justice sustainalytics, for example? And we were, we went, you know, back and forth and lots of open conversations, I think, with the team. I think we ultimately landed on, you know, building products and building an index so that we can build products and then managing campaigns as the way to drive that systemic change and say, rather than here's the data set and we're going to monetize it and we're going to, you know, put it out like a lot of firms do and allow um, the clients to sort of choose the change that they want to see in the world. We basically said, we believe yeah. in intersectional justice. We think you need race, gender, economic, and climate justice, and they all need to work together. And we have all of these data sets that you can use and we actually make them free and publicly available. I think, as you saw, you can see on the website. Um, but here's an easy product, you know, here's a, something that you can simply buy in your fidelity yeah. account or whatever. And you can just, you know, you can access it and it allows us to still our team and, ultimately social justice movements to determine these are the um, like levers of justice that all work together intersectionally. I think that was kind of the main reason. I think the other reason is that kind of a lot of us are like, we believe that data should as much as possible be free and available. And that's how we're going to create the systemic change. We, we do encourage financial advisors. If they're like, I really just can't invest in your products. We're like, please use the data sets. Like, please, you know, you know, take take a look at uh, at all the companies that our uh, our partners are saying you should divest from and and apply them. You know, if you if you're not going to invest directly in the product. Yeah, that's great. And and by the way, if you generate great performance with with this <laughs> ETF, you become a role model, and that crowds in capital behind the strategy, and yeah. that allows you to mobilize much more money than maybe you would otherwise. But exactly. somebody needs to actually demonstrate how you use this data to, to drive performance, and so yeah. that's that's a great point. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to help. <laughs> Happy to help. <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of the business of investing, um, we've found in 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 my work over the years that it is this monumentally challenging what Sloan calls the Sisyphean task <laughs> uh, of, of degenerate English built... major over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I was like Sisyphus. He's the guy with the rock. Sisyphus. Right? The, the, yeah, he keeps falling down the hill. Okay. Right, right, right. Uh, with a big rock. So, with a big rock. And and that imagery is probably right because you got to talk to so many pension funds at the top of the hill and then they're like, you don't fit in my bucket and back down you go. And, and in your words, your firm is BIPOC queer women led firm, mm -hmm. you know, out there as, as a first time fund yeah. with a pretty, um, interesting and creative strategy. Thank you. Has the due diligence process been crazy, <laughs> hard, <laughs> surprisingly nuts, I think so. uh, expectedly nuts? Which one? <laughs> 
I just want to hear you talk about the process of like actually getting into business. Yeah, truly, truly. I think it goes back to like keeping the lights on, right? It's this, like, this, this uh, moment. And I, I wish I knew more about Greek mythology. I think I probably know more about Sappho's than I do about. This, this, this. <laughs> I I definitely think that that's a great image of the pushing of the rock. And then there's something about like cheating death, which I really also think as far as, you know, especially when we're talking about um, folks that are, you know, systemically oppressed and specifically the folks I think in in our firm, then also the people we represent in community. I think it's a really um, poignant analogy. And yeah, I, I, the due diligence process, I, I don't know why I was surprised. I think we do this with white supremacy culture. We just, we are constantly surprised. Like, oh, I just didn't see that coming. I didn't <laughs> understand that it would be so bigoted and, and, and it would be built, you know, in, into the actual infrastructure and, and people would have ways to defend it with like this word fiduciary. They would be like, this is how we can, you know, this is how we can gatekeep people out of the industry. And um, yeah, so I finally got to experience it firsthand. And I think that, yeah, thinking about pushing that rock up the hill is a great analogy because it's it. You know, we, we had to go through, of course, as you know, building an investment product. We had to go through all of the the um, already predetermined systems of oppression of you have to, you know, the subscription and like the worship of the written word and the SEC filings and the prospectus and the SAI and all this other crap that we had to do, and then the just the site, you know, constant like review of all those documents and just the extraction of labor from our team of like this is this is really. And not to talk, not even, you know, getting to the financial investment of it to launch the fund. Then you finally get there and you're like, great, we launched this thing. And then as you, as you said, you know, a lot of doors that felt like they were really open and we're like, great, we did this thing. We launched this product that you said would, would, would make it easy to invest in this way. And, you know, in alignment with social justice values, we get into the, uh, the rooms with folks and they're like, Ooh, can you fill out this 290 question questionnaire? <laughs> track record it just it, it blew me away and what it really reminds do you me have 300 million under management yeah you do have that today right it's you have 300 million right because <laughs> without 300 million i don't know why we're talking yeah I, I we'll have a conversation in three years you know and i think like you know it, it started getting to the point where um again i i don't know why i was surprised but of course i was surprised and i think we all kind of were and and i i can speak i think as kind of the white ally in the room where i was watching rachel robichotti you know our founder and ceo pitching these these folks and then them asking the same questions again and again and i just really realized like a i don't i, I i'm getting this feeling you don't believe black women so for, first of all there was that you know kind of in the room around the due diligence process also it was like this way that these like you know there, there's two sides of the mouth there's this this like well we have this mandate to hire bipoc and merging managers and we just can't find anybody we can't get them in there and meanwhile they're <laughs> you know they're racist <laughs> Like, you know, and, and I, just, I always think of the, um, which I'm, I'm hoping that this is PC to say on the podcast, but I always think of this great tweet from a while back that circulated for, for a while that said, like, you know, jobs be like hiring for a virgin need two years of experience in stuff. It doesn't make sense. You know, blow my, you know <laughs> it would blow my mind. Point. Like, I don't understand. Like, you're, there's both sides of your mouth here, and we're, we're sitting here right in front of you, and you're like, we just can't find a black manager. <laughs> just you know, so I do, ultimately, yeah, the, the, the process is, has been arduous. It's been Sisyphean, and it's also um, been really illuminating. And, um, we, you know, we're working right now on this coalition. Uh, there's something called Due Diligence 2.0. It's a, it's a commitment online for asset allocators. It's something that we that kind of grew out of our experience and a couple other, you know, you know, the experience of a lot of other BIPOC managers, I think, in coalition over the last six months or I guess a year, probably since the the social justice uprisings and the and and just a lot of the the people making commitments, you know, pledges, mandates and things like that last summer where they're like, cool, you made this mandate, but like, where are the dollars? You know, so anyway, that's due diligence.com, due diligence commitment.com. And it's 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 kind of like a, a new reframe on it. We're part of that coalition. Of course, it's in our best interest for people to hire black managers. So I would just name that conflict of interest. <laughs> We're part of that coalition. And also believe that, you know, some of these these ways that we can still rigorously consider, you know, managers and BIPOC and emerging managers specifically, but still apply a rigor, but but change the conversation away from, you know, give your 300 million in your three years track record, like so we can check this box to, you know, other ways of evaluating a fund. So 
The irony I, the, uh, of this all too, that I, I love is, you know, that y'all have been managing money as an RAA for like yeah. a flagellion years. Uh, <laughs> exactly. uh, like, uh, you know, Addison is an outgrowth of like a 20 year old RAA. RIA. Yeah. Um, exactly. You know, and so like the non-fungibility of track records, mm. Um, mm. you know, is just really kind of a, an amazing uh, you know, thing. And, you know, thanks for bringing up that due diligence 2.0 thing. Uh, you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, the folks on the call, to check, uh, check it out and, and give it some thought. I'm curious too, like, you know, you guys have been organizing campaigns, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and you know, there are folks listening to this who might be interested in participating in campaigns. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, what do you got going on right now? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I appreciate that. And I appreciate that, that framing around it. Yeah, be, folks may be interested. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, we, we have a great one of, one of the blessings of, um, you know, my position as a, you know, business development sort of, you know, conduit of information to folks um, is that I have a great marketing team. And it's my first experience of being on a team where I have, you know, people who are able to actually get things onto the website. Part of probably being, you know, uh, driven by social justice is that a lot of the information that we have is on our website. So I would say that folks that are, are looking to, to sort of look at all of the campaigns we've been a part of just because there is just such a slew of information. Great, great space to go is adesina.com. But um, current campaign that we've been working on that I feel a lot of pride around is um, our campaign to end the subminimum sub wage. Um, we work in partnership with One Fair Wage, Poor People's Campaign, to build the data set of corporations that still pay their employees. I think it's two dollars and sixteen cents an hour. A lot of that is in the restaurant industry, as you, as I'm sure you all have seen a lot in the news. A lot of activists who've been doing a lot of work with companies like Denny's, IHOP, you know, or co corporations that have made a pledge to pay their employees more. But yeah, we're, we're really working on. Um, Kind of what like I mentioned at the beginning, a lot of that reputational risk. A lot of these corporations that are, um, you know, I think that they, they they can kind of get away with it. Just you know, divest from us. Go ahead, that's fine. Like it's not going to hurt us Our, <laughs> in the long run. Yeah, call the cops. They work for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Truly, they're on payroll, and they yeah. make more than two sixteen an hour for sure. Um, I think that you know, for the for the most part, it's it's uh, these these campaigns are important because. They're actually our main lever. Like I, I would say that our strategy is one of the tools that we use to put pressure. And the campaigns are a, a great way for us to actually make the change and organize other investors and, and you know, force arbitration for sexual harassment is another campaign that I'm really proud of um, or that we're proud of on the team. Um, force the Issue is the main coalition of workers that we um, that we organize with and around. Um, but basically it was a it was a database that started out with I think 300 companies, you know, just publicly traded companies. It was a list that had five companies that had ended the practice. And, you know, for, for us, from our perspective, it was a kind of an example of that pipeline issue that you mentioned, Sloan, of, of taking the information from those most impacted and saying, why don't we ask the women, why don't we ask the black women who work, <laughs> the women of color who work and, and actually, you know, those, those, involved in the Me Too movement and say, and ask the leaders and say, what, what is the issue we should be applying, you know, to our data set around gender justice, not just women on boards, not just like women representation. And um, those are air quotes, by the way, women on boards. If you yeah, can't hear yeah. those of you in the back. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, looking, looking to uh, say, what are the actual issues we can work on for gender justice? And, and that was, that was a, one of the main campaigns without any sort of other, you know, just investor organizing and divestment. We've, we've, you know, I think over 800 companies as of um, last week uh, had ended the practice of forced arbitration on this list. Um, I think it's up to you know, a couple thousand companies listed. So anyway, don't quote me on that, but it's it's that's incredible. In, and, yeah, and forced arbitration, just for you know, folks who may not be familiar with the jargon, that's where you know, you, by virtue of uh, working at a company, you sign a contract that if you have a sexual harassment claim, you need to kind of agree to mm. you know, kind of work that out in private. Uh, and not go public, right? Is that is that an accurate characterization of the issue? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it's like a it's a multifold, you know, um, issue because not only do those folks not get to take serial harassers to court, you know, the the people within the, but also we don't get to screen them from the portfolio because we don't know that there have been lawsuits to begin with because they're all you know happening behind closed doors. So I think it's kind of a we're we're able to address it on both sides where we're okay, there's an exposure and a reputational risk also. There's, you know, there's, there's building a data set, you know, by, by virtue. And by the way, just to, to correct myself, it's 391 companies. Have been <laughs> Still just pretty good. I'm sure there's going to be an we'll quote you on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> every, every, every one is a, is a big deal. Yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah, I completely agree, especially coming from five where companies, you know, some companies that we've engaged with have been like, oh, wow, didn't even realize this was a thing versus like other companies that put a lot of pressure. They're like, ah, oh, just kidding. They're like, you know, tons of uh, orgs that we've called have been like, had just left us on red. And we're like, yeah, there's, there's no, nothing's going to change here, but what it allows us to put this out there in the world and then sort of the reputational risk takes care of itself. So hope it continues growing and. But thanks for asking about the campaigns. It is something that I don't get to talk enough about because I have to talk about track record and, you know, standard deviation and stuff. So appreciate it. Very prudent. Yeah, yeah very yeah. prudent. But it's, a, but it's a big deal. I mean, like this mechanism of like, you know, creating reputational risk with these mm -hmm. campaigns, with this organizing, you know, that, that, you know, taking the data from, you know, a grievance or, you know, an issue that somebody in the community has translating into mm -hmm. financial stuff and then translating it into reputational risk. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a return engine right there. Um, so very, very cool to see. And thank you for coming on and, and talking to us about it. Yeah. 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 Happily. Thank happily. Thanks so much. And and thanks for, for having me. And I, you know, I didn't realize I would be on video here, but I definitely think I have a face for radio. Oh, the, the videos are secret. Uh, the videos are, the videos are just for us <laughs> so that we, we can see your air quotes. So we can see yeah. But, as long as you can yeah. see me. Yeah. No, yeah. 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 The, I mean, the, I don't think I, that I'm, I'm ready to share my dirty laundry with the audience. Yeah. I'm I mean, just, I just like, hey, that's we're amazing. I'm happy that. <laughs> like literally slowed as dirty laundry. Like literally there's a whole bunch her. of dirty yeah. towels right behind me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and for the listen listeners, listeners, for accessibility, I'm wearing a baseball cap. I'm also wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. That's Fantastic. Very, very accessible. Thank you. Thanks well, for having me. High Thank five you. and uh, yeah. enjoy the transmarch. Thank you so Thank much. You. Definitely will. Thanks for having me, y'all. Bye. Talk to you soon. Wow. Cool. That was awesome. <laughs> yep. I, I am so, I, I like, I think what they're doing is so interesting, you know, yeah. um, and like, you, you know, they're not just sitting there and, and piecing together a whole bunch of data sets that exist or like, you know, even worse, kind of bitching about all the data sets that exist and like how they can't knit them together into anything that makes sense, uh, which yeah. I think is like kind of like the most common uh, take that people have on ESG. Like, wow, there's just so much data and we just can't make heads or tails out of it. Um, I, I love their lived experience on like 12 issues. Like how do you, <laughs> how do you bring like this data to products? How do you fundraise? How do you, you know, how do you build an asset management firm um, that isn't, you know, look like the traditional asset management firm? All these different things are just things that I think we're all fascinated in. And so I think it was really great to have, have them on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, what else is great? Master of the Segway, Sloan Hortel. Uh, oh, <laughs> I love it. Here uh, we go. It is, it is the Dear Ashby segment. Um, this, for those of you who are not used to you know, our, our fine podcast here is where we answer questions from you. We have a format. We have a, <laughs> we have a legitimate format to this, this you know, thing. It is, it is increasingly legitimate. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think last we checked, we had eight five-star ratings. That's true. That's true. That's correct. So um, that's pretty good. That's, that's almost in the, that's it. Like that's very close to double digits, which, you know, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, if you take all the nice things that people say about us personally and add it up to that, you're really, you're up into like 12 or 13 yeah. nice things that people have said anyway. Yeah. Um, quick self-promotional, uh, tidbit. I mean, if you love us, if you love this, uh, leave us a review in your podcast store of choice. Um, tell a friend, tell your neighbor, um, you know, make a, make a bumper sticker and put it on your car. Um, do whatever you want. But also, if you have a question, email us, freemoneypod at gmail.com. Um, these questions come from that. Um, so we have some great, uh, great ones this week. Um, okay. Well, great in the sense of terrible. Um, oh. The first one <laughs> is... <laughs> Jesus. Well, I, okay, so Nestle... Interesting. These are interesting questions. This is, this is so depressing. <laughs> okay. Hit me um, with it. Hit me. Nestle won a Supreme Court ruling it recently, which released them from culpability over multiple incidents of child labor in their supply, supply chains. The incidents are not in dispute. Um, the company has a AA ESG rating from MSCI and a 4.9 out of 5 from FTSE. How depressing is this? <laughs> they need to get on top of their supply chain. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I mean, there's really interesting companies emerging, one of which in Santa Cruz, California called Supply Shift. Mm. And they help companies track their supply chain. So all of the Nestle leadership that are obviously listening to this program yep. should go and talk to Supply Shift. Yep. I, I think this is very depressing. It's not only depressing because child labor is still a thing and companies like Nestle are involved in it. 
Nestle also makes Nespresso. Yep. Just putting that out there is a thing that, you know, I have to send all my Nespresso pods back in a, <laughs> in a package. Otherwise I feel bad about the amount of, um, metal I'm putting oh, into yeah. the earth. Yeah. yeah it's like it's literally it like once a month, like totally compostable, totally sustainable and turning exactly. into an ecological nightmare. <laughs> a disaster. Like we we're taking coffee, which we should just pour down the drain and we're creating a disaster out of it. Anyway, this story makes me think that it's very hard to just do ESG as a catch-all. Yep. You have to drill down. Um, they're risky. How? You know, like, and investors that care about justice or, you know, human rights, like, there should be a, some rating somewhere that says F. Yeah. Right? It's fine that, like, the rest of the organization is well-governed and diverse and, you know, it takes care of their stakeholders. Um, and if that's what you care about and that's, you know, the ethics that you carry into your investment strategy, fine, invest in Nestle. But if you have a, a an approach where you really just can't support companies that have anything to do with child labor, you should be able to find that easier. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, I think we need better outcomes data is the answer mm, to this. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage um people to go and look for impact outcomes, data providers, they do exist. Mm. Net purpose is one out of London. So it can be done. That? It can be it done. It can and, be done. Yeah. And, you know, and this supply chain issue is something that people have been talking about for a long time. I mean, I, you know, I, the, we, we did work on it at CFA in like 20, 2017, 2016. Um, and back then we talked to a large unnamed multinational chocolate company that said that their target was to get 50% of their cocoa, uh, from West Africa, um, to be free of child labor by 2020, uh, a target that they have not met. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, the world is bad and don't eat chocolate. Um, <laughs> and if you do, if you do eat chocolate, buy expensive chocolate that has traceable supply chains. Um, yes. The next question is: So Morgan Stanley is blocking unvaccinated staff and clients wow. uh, from its New York offices. Um, should pensions be doing the same with their beneficiaries? A lot of them operate offices where people can go and, and That's right. talk to a person and, you know. I think this boils down to whether or not it's a defined benefit pension plan. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Thank you for catching that. This is... This is a joke, but I can remember um, talking to somebody uh, about a tobacco ban, um, a, a treasurer of a certain state. And I was like joking about how, well, if you ban tobacco, like all of your beneficiaries are going to live longer and your liability is going to go up, you know, uh, he, that was funny. That was funny for about nine seconds. And then they were dark. like, you can't say that. Like, yeah, exactly. But in, in this case, you know, if, if it's a defined benefit pension plan, you know, yeah. Anyway, I would love to see everybody vaccinated, right? So yep. we can get the herd immunity. Let's yep. get back to the Yeah, and so you basic. win the lotto. You know, you win the Ashby lotto. Um, you win the Ashby Monk lotto. Yeah. yeah, that's what they're calling it now. Um, but I, I, I think the reality is I'm more about the carrots than the sticks. But mm. I would like to protect, you know, people in these organizations that, you know, for for whatever reason, haven't been able to get vaccinated. So mm. I'm all about um, if, if for private companies able to bar employees from like having customer facing roles that without a vaccine, you know, like that to me makes sense. It's like limiting liability of the company of like putting people in in harm's way. Yeah. Um, I mean, why why are we still not? like totally vaccinated as a country. Like we have enough vaccines. Every time I open up my New York Times email in the morning, we're at like 46%. It's the, Fine. yeah. That includes the children, but still. Well, it's like, you know, I was thinking there's, um, I mean, there's a lot of, of stuff about WeWork going on, going on right now about like the, you know, there's this school that they created. Uh, there are right. a bunch of long form profiles around about, you know, the various people. There are a bunch of like, I think HBO is doing something, who is doing something. Um, cousin Greg from Succession is playing the WeWork guy in a, in a long oh. biopic. But anyway, I bring it up because um, the school that they were operating had um, a super majority of kids who had not had any of their vaccines. Oh my god! Um, and in one of the pieces I was reading about it, there's a stat that someone said were in neighborhoods with a Whole Foods, i.e., affluent neighborhoods, 
um, you know, the probability that kids are, you will have a level of abstraction more probability that people are not getting their vaccines than not. Um, and like, I, you know, I've seen personally like, with the whole veganism thing, how easy it is, you know, once you get, you go from like not trusting like, you know, the microplastics that come in all, all sorts of like, you know, consumer goods to, to not trusting vaccines. There's a huge core, there's a huge crossover there. Interesting. Um, and a lot of people aren't really able to navigate it well, I think, um, which is also depressing. Yeah. This yeah, is the segment people, where we do depressing things. Yeah, no, this, this is mega depressing. <laughs> we just, it's like we have this gift that like is going to prevent people from getting sick. It's called a vaccine. And yeah. the fact that we, you know, we've convinced ourselves that there's something wrong with it is just a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in On the happy note. in the happy end of it, this is so. I, I found out from an email about the Wikipedia list of emerging technologies, um, and sounds great. It's super. And the listener asks, "What is your favorite of these technologies?" On the Wikipedia on Wikipedia's list of emerging technologies. And I looked before the show so I could be prepared for this, and um, it is for me the nanomedicine, mm. which is the whole suite of nanotechnologies being deployed within the corpus inside your body. Um, nano measurements, nano, um, you know, bots, mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. I think that is going to be really powerful to like have all the early warning stuff. Yeah. I ever tell you that like my dad's life was saved by a Fitbit? No. Yeah. Like he had one of those like heart things where they, where they start racing. Uh-huh. And he was like, something's wrong with my Fitbit today. Cause he couldn't really tell. And he was sweating and not feeling well. Huh. And my, my mom was like, is it the Fitbit that has the problem? <laughs> and he's like, huh. They went to the doctor and they were like, oh yeah, we got to get you into the, like the emergency room. And like he had like, an ablation of his heart or something like holy to shit stop, to stop the heart from going. But like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm thinking about. Maybe like, that's my, that's the baggage I'm carrying into this question is <laughs> like, I know that like this technology, these sensors are going to help us like spot all of the problems, you know, as they're emerging and give you a better chance of solving them. So that's exciting. That's yeah, that's really cool. I mean, like, you know, personally, I'm partial to translucent concrete, but um... yeah, no, I w <laughs> literally the other one I was going to pick was metal foam. <laughs> That was my other choice. And I was like, eh, I'll get real with people. Metal foam sounded rad. Metal foam sounds freaking cool. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Like, but I, what would I do with it that I can't do with? <laughs> like, so apparently, platforms floating in the air will need metal, metal foam. Like, if we're going to build like giant balloon structures, good metal. I went down the metal foam rat hole. <laughs> you know, like, if you're going to build giant balloon structures out there, you need like hard stuff. That's light. Ah, so metal yeah. foam. That makes perfect metal sense. Foam. Yeah. Yep. Check it out. Yep. Surprised I didn't, I didn't even know about metal foam. How do I, how do I, how do I live with myself? Uh, <laughs> oh, but that is the end of our format for today. There it is. Uh, Thank you. We love you. We love you very much. Bye. Bye. Let me get rain on them.